0: Are you shirtless under there? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, my my like uh, the uh, it's cold here today. Like it's sixty nine degrees and
1: raining. Perfect temp to pop the shirt off then.
0: But but my uh, little garage room has still maintained the atmosphere from when it was hot.
1: You know, three you have so two much days. Goddamn ago. insulation on that. Yeah, thing. yeah.
0: So I'm the air conditioner is cooling it down, but it's taking it a minute to really. Get going.
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's never
0: ending to so follow me?
1: I think the move went pretty well other than Yeah, what 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 are the, what are everything. the good
0: stuff? What are the good stuff? Tell give us all the positives.
1: I have a way better space uh as an office. Now I have uh like as you can see behind me possibly, I don't know, it kind of blends into the wall, but my standing table, my standing desk. Okay. I now have enough space to put it in the middle of the room. So right. now I can w- work all the way around a stencil much easier um the lighting is really good it's a bright house but you can also make it pretty dark on hot days Mm -hmm. Uh, it's an old it was built like in the 60s i think so it's got modern open concept uh you know renovations kind of done to it Mm -hmm. that they probably did sometime in the 2000s early 2000s uh, but it still has the feel of closed concept, as okay. in the hallway that connects the bedrooms, my office, the bathrooms, everything. We can close that off from the uh, living space and uh, kitchen area, and that part of the house gets really hot during the day. So I can like keep it totally dark and cool ah. on this side of the house. No AC. Um, Is that the western side of the house? Y- no, the eastern side of the house. But we have a lot of like trees on this side, the eastern side. Okay, and then the western side, like there's there's the a big sliding door to go to the backyard, and that's what gets beat by the oh, sun. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, we have, <clears throat> you know, I heard them talking about this, uh, when. Dan and Jake went to see Akash in Houston and and Dan was like saying like, oh yeah, the hotel you were staying at have bars on the windows is a dangerous place. (laughs) The thing with bars on windows means you don't have to be concerned with somebody breaking into your house. Like they're not going to try it. Everybody. I remember growing up and people freaking out being like, I could never live in a place where I have to have bars on my windows Everyone who lives in a suburb in Texas is terrified somebody's going to break through their giant front yeah, just, window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they have, you know, a safe full of shotguns <laughs> uh for that very instance. I don't have to worry about a thing. But our back door to our our to the yard has like a giant iron um screen. So instead of like a screen door, it's like fully metal oh yeah just a perforated big gate. metal yeah um so i can like leave that open so we can get this giant you know flow of air without the dogs like running out because mm-hmm. chibi will still eat dirt and everything he's i don't know if he has pico or what but he he loves <laughs> dirt
0: well it makes sense too if you don't have air conditioning like you're gonna have all your windows open most of the time for ventilation so yeah, yeah. in order for just safety reasons like just put a put some bars over that window so you can just leave it open all the time. You don't got to worry about anyone trying to hop in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. That's the big Uh, scary
0: thing for Texas is like the couple weeks when it gets nice in the fall and then the like month or so when it's nice in the springtime and everyone's like, oh, finally, we'll just open all of our windows and like have a nice, nice day. That's when everyone's like, you find out, oh yeah. And then there's a guy just hopping in people's open windows, raping. (laughs)
2: because yeah
0: people just it's it's such a rare it's not a all the time type of occurrence where you're leaving them open
1: yeah yeah this is this is also our first detached house so it was something that i was kind of like but you know having the bars on the windows it's like oh yeah don't have to care
0: yeah Nikki gets scared it, all the single family homes we've lived in, Nikki's more scared to like sleep and stay in, especially if I go out of town and she's there by herself. It's tougher. But like in the townhome we have now, I guess just because it's taller and she can like be up off the ground, <laughs> she yeah, feels yeah. safer.
1: <laughs> yeah. You feel like you can throw stuff down the stairs at somebody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And there's like less points of entry. You know, like you can only get into our house either through the front door or if you climb over like everyone's fences in the back. Because like our backyard fence doesn't access anything but other people's backyards. You yeah. know, it's, we're surrounded by other people's backyards. So there's no like access to it through an alleyway or from the street or anything like that. So to get into our backyard, to get to our back door, you'd have to jump through a lot of other people's backyards first to get there.
1: Yeah. And we. Our neighbors, we already met them. They're really cool. The one neighbor on one side, he like, he, I think he was born in Gardena. So he's like lived here his entire life. The mayor and, of Gardena. You know, uh No, the, the mayor of Gardena's son is like the realty company that we went through okay. to find this place. <laughs> <laughs> the, I think, was he the first Japanese American mayor? Uh, something like that. Um, and and his son who's like got to be in his 60s or something now um runs the realty company or whatever but they then on the other side i don't know where he's from but they've lived in that house for like 17 years like everybody in this neighborhood they like have block parties and stuff mm-hmm. so it's an extremely chill neighborhood and now we can like walk to tons of I, we could previously walk to some restaurants but now we have like Japanese restaurants we can walk to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I see what you then, did there. Uh, what?
0: Japanese restaurants you can walk to. Uh,
1: the walk is a Chinese cooking <laughs> instrument but I wouldn't expect you to learn that in <laughs> Texas education. Um. <laughs> i'm trying to cheer you up eric yeah no i get it well you know okay so the other thing that's really bummed me out i get to take a a quick break in between um, one of our dogs just intestines falling out all the time um, and pop open the chess app and Mm -hmm. what do i see josh who's Oh, I don't, I don't really play chess that much. Just demolishing me in these games. <laughs> it's been a long time; I haven't played since high school. Well, <laughs> you never told me you were a grandmaster in high school. <laughs>
0: I wasn't. <laughs> I just had to play a lot of guys who were really good. Well, I take that back. I did play a little bit in college, but not like for the school. UTD like our um, our number one athletic sport team was the chess team like we it was a nationally ranked team our team won like the national event went to do like an international thing in Russia and stuff like that in my fraternity we had a a Russian dude in there who was part of the um, chess team and I'd play him every once in a while and it, either it's because we were always drunk at parties, or just because I'm not that great at chess. But it w- <laughs> he would just demolish people in like 30 seconds over and just line them up <laughs> outside the door. Yeah. <laughs> he was so good. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought you had me in that last game. Like in the beginning, I fucked shit up right at the right from the start. And man, I was just chasing my tail for like the whole rest of the game until the very end.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed. Well, the thing that's that's. One thing that frustrates me is those games like I I feel like I play much better in 10 minute games where it's just it's right there and like I'm making the moves and everything. Yeah. Playing those like games where it has, you know, you have like a week to make your move where it's I forget what my strategy is. Yeah, and yeah. then I, I it feels like I'm doing like a chess puzzle. And I hate chess puzzles because it's like I need to know how the pieces got there. I want the
0: context.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> and I and I, I also feel like because I learned to play on an app versus on a board, like my my there's not as much cohesion to what I'm trying to do. Okay. You know, um, and I, the thing that I was just like, God, like, I, I know I made that mistake. Uh, I blocked my king into the side, and then I was like, well, it's okay because he's like got me here, but he's not going to come over here. And then I made like one move, but I don't know. <laughs> did you, when I made that one move, did you see three moves ahead? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, this I was setting I get... you up see, to I that can't.
0: side so I could finally be able to take your your king that you had trapped. So I was trying to get something over there to bait you <laughs> to move to the other side of the board. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: and then fi- and I did like three different one three different traps to bait you over there and you didn't fall for them. And then the fourth one you finally did and I was like, Yes. <laughs> I got got him <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> that was rough. Um, and then the very first game, I think because you said you hadn't played in a long time, I was like, oh, okay, I'll just kind of move my pieces around or whatever. Because I don't want to, I played one of my friends once and he was like, yeah, I've, I've really gotten into chess, let's play. And um, he had like sent me games that he had played before too. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't believe like I, I checkmated them on this. And he like, he, he, he would checkmate these people with like the two knights but he was playing people with an Elo of like 200 okay. or something like they like he would move the knight in front of a pawn and they wouldn't, they wouldn't capture take it, it yeah, or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I played him in one game where I was like trying to be kind of serious and it was just I felt so bad for doing that <laughs> Like what he came to visit us last year and he was like, let's play some chess. And I was like, okay. So I broke out the board and I was just like, I wasn't toying with him, but I was just messing around the whole time. Like just giving him my queen. Mm. Just like, here you go. Like trying to take away as many of my pieces as I could to then see if I could like get out of this mess. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to hurt my Josh's feelings. Um, but instead you hurt mine. So
0: <laughs> Well, see, that's also because when I learned how to play, my dad being the one who taught me and my grandfather too, they were both the guy who was like, "We're not gonna play easy on you just because you're a kid and you're learning." Yeah, we're, we're going to go as as hard and inle- intellectually full bore as we can on all these chess games until you learn how to not lose in three moves. And then you just keep advancing <laughs> and they, they never let me
1: win anything. See, I don't think I could learn that way by like you playing people who are better than you and like learning better strategy or whatever. I don't think I can learn like that. Like, I have to play just people just slightly better than me and, like, inch my way up. Not somebody who's, you know, 500 above me or something. I don't know.
0: That That is what's cool about that app is that it does allow you to just uh, chronicle all the moves. You can just go back and quickly look at the game and move yeah, by yeah. move and, and see what's been going on. And that, that you, you know... As much as like that was a hard ass way to learn chess from my dad and grandfather, they would go back after every game we played and be like, "Okay, now we're gonna reevaluate what we did here. This was this, and this is why you, this is why you were screwed, and, like from the, from the get go, because you did this with your pawn. Never do that at the beginning of the game, and then you won't have yeah. this problem again. And then you know, run it back."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I mean, I don't know. And I get the 10-minute games. It's just so tough because I want to play those because that's when I'm at my best Mm -hmm. and that's when I have the most fun. But that means it can suck up 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just like wake up and be like, oh, yeah, I need to make that one move, make the move, and then don't look at it again for another day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, you know. And so then I play like five-minute games, but then the five-minute games are like, it's not enough time to be able to really think through what you're doing i don't know so what you know. we're
0: saying is uh both eric and i are on the chess app so come find us i mean eric plays a lot of people i've only played eric
1: yeah <laughs> i only yeah, play eric and do tournament. the and do the puzzle games yeah the puzzles are i just wish that i could go back cuz i whenever i they the computer makes the first move on the puzzles uh to like set you up to do whatever mm-hmm. but they won't let you go back to see what yeah yeah they have like i don't know you have just to,
0: it's more just learning like the spatial awareness of the pieces when you just see. yeah yeah and that that's the other thing like it's tough with me in the app to like visualize what's going on sometimes just yeah. to see the board as it is i have to really like think about it And, like, see it in my head as, like, a physical board with the pieces sometimes in order to, like, visualize exactly what's at stake.
1: Yeah. I tried playing once uh, with the app and then my actual board setup and making the moves of the pieces just to be like, oh, maybe this will help me. I did that one time. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is way too much work for, you know. Oh, well. Anyways.
0: So, uh, are you now, is this, how close is this to your old house?
1: Uh, it's like 20 blocks. So we're in the same, same city, sort of. We're in the same city, but this side of the street is incorporated into Los Angeles. Okay. So we're in the city of LA again now. Um, but the, yeah. So your vote counts again. Yeah, finally. I can I need to figure out who my uh my city council member is. And see
0: if they've said the N-word recently.
1: Surely they have. Um I mean, even I was telling you guys about that like the DSA guy who got on there who his sole campaign was like not increasing the LAPD budget. And then he immediately votes for that and then like votes to reject any sort of left-leaning, like, nominated person for, you know, uh, committee chair kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just It's like, wh- <laughs> were y- you playing the long game? Like, who is paying you? Is the Democratic National Convention, like, <laughs> writing your checks? Like, where did this come from? It's or, so strange.
0: Or, you know, the cops came and were like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, we know some some stuff about some of your family members.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. <I> mean,
0: <laughs> you know, uh, you could play ball or uh, we can, could be really hard. We could make stuff really hard.
1: <laughs> I mean, they literally do do that. Yeah. So <clears throat> that is probably what happened. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, so glad we're back with the LAPD now.
0: That's good, though. It's good to know who you're going to get arrested by.
1: Yeah. I need to look up which gang... Uh, <laughs> Which LAPD and then LA Sheriff Gang were a part of now. Yeah. So you know what colors to
0: wear when you're on the street.
1: Right. Yeah. The I mean, that was the one thing about Gardenas. Gardena did have local gangs that were um like originally formed as anti police like mm-hmm. gangs and stuff. But that was that's farther to the north. See
0: More every everyone south. bemoans a sense of community. And then people try to form like a gang of a bunch of like-minded youths <laughs> to, you know, try to achieve some goals. And then that's not good enough.
1: No. Yeah. I mean, show me a time that the the leaders of a gang, uh, quote-unquote gang, they were actually doing really good things for the community. Just people let them do that. <laughs> you uh, know, yeah. having an after-school uh, food program for students. The FBI is gonna kill you in your sleep.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, doing any any little bit of outreach, like, God forbid you uh, you go to like
1: a school. (laughs) Yeah, man, whatever you know. I'm a homeowner now. Just kidding, Uh, but I live in a home Mm -hmm. that is owned. (laughs) i live in a home that's owned (laughs) i'm a home owned -er. (laughs) or yeah the the person who owns this home is older and uh they've told us that she might be looking to sell it at some point soon uh as in like she's you know gonna go to a retirement home or whatever i think she now Um. lives in like a you know, senior citizen apartment sort of area Mm -hmm. and is, I don't know, you know, going to reach that age where she's going to sell it or whatever. I don't know if she has any kids. So in my head, I'm like, sell it to us what you bought it for. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just offer her a reverse mortgage.
0: Just do (laughs) Just tell us what's on your mortgage and we'll just pay you back what you had been paying on it. Yeah. I hear that all the senior citizens love to do that.
1: Possibly. Yeah. It's um, you know, because it's it's like if you're gonna die, right?
2: Like we all do are. you need
1: a million dollars? Maybe. Burials are probably
0: expensive in California.
1: I myself could retire for a million do- on a million dollars, you know. I could find a way to make that work for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm.
0: What if, what if she's uh, related to Mila Kunis and she has to give that million dollars to Mila to cover her uh, SEC fines for her NFT,
1: uh, stone cat
0: NFT she was making?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that. I know that they were like defending the, the alleged rapist guy. It's been
0: a tough week for the Kunises.
1: <laughs> I also do like that somebody figured out like they went out to their barn to record their apology video (laughs) because they couldn't do it inside their house it looked too lavish
0: tc and i were talking about it yesterday on the way to the pearl jam concert and uh (laughs) what what i came away is that ashton kutcher is the best actor in that family like that was obviously a you know pre-written statement for their video and Mm -hmm. Ash, I would not have known it was pre-written by the delivery that Ashton gave. Like, very, like, I I would have thought, man, he's doing this off the top of the dome. Mila, on the other hand, looked like she was being held hostage and forcing, being forced to read cue cards. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, I don't know, Mila, go to get some extra acting classes and it would have gone over better. That's what I'd say. Or take some of acting advice from your husband. Much superior I, actor to her.
1: I I didn't watch the video, but how long have they been together? Is it have they been together a long time, or is this like a one where they came back? To, yeah, like they, they got back because like he was. They, with,
0: remember, he was with Demi Moore.
1: I don't remember. And they that, got but married
0: sure. for a long time, and it was that weird uh, Ashton Kutcher lives with Demi and the kids, and Bruce Willis will come around and say hi every once in a while. <laughs> Hmm. You know, and then after him and Demi split up, then he and, and she was Mila older got than him, together. right?
1: Is that, oh yeah, is that yeah, the yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. was, okay. Yeah.
0: When they got together, he was still like late twenties, and she was in her forties, I think. Okay, late forties. Um
1: I don't. I can't keep up with all these people.
0: But yeah, like the Mila and Ashton thing's always been weird because uh, she she's famous for getting on that 70s show by lying in the audition about her age and when she got it that's when they found out that she actually wasn't 17 or whatever she was actually 14 and so they're like ah but she's so good and so then they were like ah we'll just let this underage preteen hang out with all these other actors all the time it'll be fine nothing weird is gonna happen
1: (laughs) has anything weird come out about that or is it I We're mean she sure.
0: she became friends with two Scientologists. Oh well <laughs> that'll happen to you. Two two legend Scientologists, the Masterson and the Prepon family.
1: Uh is Kutcher one of those?
0: I don't know, he's not a he's not a Scientologist. Uh but the other two Oh, is she though? The main act uh, Mila's not. The the main actress oh. on that seventy show, uh Laura Prepon, the redheaded chick. Um, okay. she, her family, she comes from a long family of Scientologists and Danny Masterson, his family is
1: long-standing family of Scientologists. And he's the guy on the hot seat right now. Yeah. He's, he's the guy the... on the hot
0: seat. And then everyone was, was writing letters to try to reduce his sentence. And that's when that got made public.
1: Oh, okay. The
0: only one who was, but you know, who's, who stays out of the Danny Masterson friendship phrase, uh, Topher Grace, never friends with him. Never, never liked any of those people on that show, he says. Didn't hang out with any of them unless they had to be on set together. Who's Topher? He's the Gross. main character from that 70s show.
1: Good God. How many people were on this show? A lot. I never watched that either. Did you watch that? Yeah. Yeah, that was in my
0: early high school wheelhouse of sitcoms that were on.
1: I don't uh oh okay I know this. I think yeah, Wilmer Valderrama
0: has a uh, has some sketch stuff too uh in his past with underage females, but I'm not sure.
1: Man, have you watched the reboot? The 80s show or the 90s the n- show? The 90s. Well, they show? did
0: that 80s show shortly like back when we were in college. And then, really? Then, there, the, then the 90s show was a recent thing. But I, I never watched any of those two.
1: Wow. I've never heard of that 80s show. Well, oh my God. <laughs> this, the guy from uh, It's Always Sunny is the main
2: character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa.
1: Oh, geez. He's the new toe for uh, grace. That's insane. Yeah, no, I. I don't know what kind of shows... Whenever that was on, I never never watched it, but uh, I did watch the... What were those shows like VH1 would put on and it would just talk about the 80s or the 90s, like just different pop culture stuff. Oh, that was called
0: I Heart the 80s or I Heart the 90s. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just a bunch of like stand-up comedians from the late 90s doing like one-liners over the top of a 10 second video of uh look at this crazy Pepsi ad.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that show was You guys genius. remember
0: Pepsi? That was crazy.
1: It's cuz I I think I really like stand up and I really liked stand up at the time too. So just having them give much more I don't know. I like you know. And it was not- always
0: like uh who are the guys? It was always like uh Doug Stanhope and, uh, yeah. <sighs> shit. who are all the, th- all those, uh, I used to know all the comedians that used to be on that thing. They probably all got canceled.
1: I bet they had Pat Oswald on
2: there.
0: Yeah. Michael Ian e. Black was definitely one of the recurring comics on
1: those shows. Yeah. It's Doug Stanhope, they probably had, uh, Adam Carolla. Um, man, (laughs) all the greats. (laughs) Uh, Michael Ian Black. Uh huh. Uh, he he had to be on like all of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mo Rocca was on some. Mm. Um, Rich Eisen as well.
0: Oh, there you go. You got to get a football angle.
1: Yeah. Uh, Michael Moore. Feel like yeah, I've seen his. Him talking. Damn, they had a lot of, you know, Weird Owl in ten episodes. They had him on every single one. Andrew Dice Clay. Jim Gaffigan. Uh seems like that would have been his time. Well, he was in. Uh he was. No, he wasn't on those. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, anyways. Yeah. So that was, you know. That was a great time to watch TV after school. <laughs> just feel like you could uh, understand where your parents were coming from. No,
0: that I had no, no none of those shows made me relate with my parents at all. <laughs>
1: <sighs> Did I ever tell you that my mom told us she was like, "Yeah, when I was little, I wanted to grow up and be just a flower child." And, like uh, go back
0: in time to the 60s?
1: Yeah, she was born in the 60s. Yeah, and... Uh, she was too young. How do you think that and then turn into a racist? Like, I don't...
0: <laughs> well, because, remember, uh, the the whole Summer of Love, Flower Children, Hippie thing was just a, uh, a uh, white privileged movement of checking out on... Just checking out of anything thing a right. consequence that you might like the civil rights movement was going on and they were like yeah but man that's so negative
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: can we just like what if we just you know hung out and did love there were not realizing it's it's gonna take some fights guys
1: <laughs> yeah there were some real hippies. i don't know i it to me it's a tired uh take to say that all hippies turned into uh, conservatives because they definitely didn't I've met plenty of still hippies Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah yeah it's kind of I I would say
0: the overall cultural movement was more like it was less of a. It's, it definitely wasn't a social justice movement akin to no. the civil rights movement, or even like the student protests against Vietnam. That I, that is not led by the hippie movement.
1: No, I, as I've heard uh, plenty of times too. The and you know that's that's one of those things like with history where you gotta break it apart instead of lumping it all together. Mm. Um, but the the. Thought process of like, well, if we all just do LSD at the same time, then maybe we'll raise human consciousness. We'll change get, the instead vibes, of like <laughs> reading books.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, well, it, but, I
0: I feel like it was much more um, the 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 groundbreaking part of it, at least in the history that I've read, is that it is like the revolt against. A rigid, parental, mainly father-driven household uh, that had been established—like that—is the yeah. big groundbreaking thing. It's a bunch of kids running away and saying "fuck you, dad" in like a way that was so irreverent uh, to to the sensibilities of the time that it was considered a crisis. <laughs> but yeah, not yeah. not. They were saying, fuck you, dad, because they wanted to go and have sex and not wait till marriage, not fuck you, dad. I want to go and, uh, you know, change the lives of black people.
1: I want to destroy the patriarchy by writing the Barbie movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that definitely wasn't coming out of that. Um, I don't know if this feels bad. See, I'm still trying to figure out my desk, too. You just
0: can't get it. You just can't get comfortable.
1: Well, I got the, I got the, mic arm on my left side now, which is new. new that's how to I me. do it.
0: Left side yeah. mic arm, boom.
1: But now I don't know. I'm, I don't know what to do with my hands.
0: <laughs> you just put them between your legs.
1: I, uh, so I think that's all on my move. That's all. Everything
0: you, you got it all. How'd your show go?
1: The art show was fantastic. Um, I went on Thursday to paint the. So, my. The art show was kind of weird at the beginning because um, the person whose house it is, who like hosts this annual backyard show, uh, Alice Marie Peralt. A uh, fantastic artist. I've interviewed her for the art scene. Um, she's like a great person and everything. She really likes me and my work and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, she, the person curating the show, still had like some spots open, and so Alice was like, "Oh, why don't you, uh, have Eric in the show?" So. I wasn't curated last year from the curator. I was like, Alice was like, oh, you should be in this. Like, mm-hmm. let me connect you two. And then I was in the show, uh, had some pieces hanging. So that was like pretty cool. Um, Then uh, this year, the curator is somebody I've met one, twice. Uh, Once at a party, got to hang out with him. And then a second time, saw him at a show opening uh for some a show that Alice had some pieces up in and he's really cool and uh very involved in the art scene in LA but doesn't know my work at all um but uh Alice reached out to me directly because her yard her backyard uh the drought this year like killed it off it's it's just all the grass died it's just dirt and so she was like feeling kind of self-conscious because she's like it's not going to be like a nice kind of area it's going to be hot and dusty for people to be in so then she was like oh maybe eric will want to like paint a mural on this thing like kind of beautify it or whatever okay so again i wasn't curated by the curator but she like told him, Hey, I'm going to have Eric do this thing. Um, so I was like kind of out of the loop of like what anything was like theme for the show. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, so, and, uh, the guy, the curator, uh, he's a professor. So he's also like school had just started. So he's super busy with new students and everything. So I was like, all right, I'll just come up with some ideas, came up with some ideas. um, really liked a pool concept uh i thought it'd be cool to paint a pool on the dirt because uh for me the message being like the hoarding of this resource of water is what results in the individual consequences that we experience of climate change Mm -hmm. um so commodifying water privatizing it all that kind of stuff which i thought you know it's it was a little tricky for me mentally. Cause I'm like, I'm not saying it's a personal choice, like for you to have a swimming pool, but this is like a representation of yeah, yeah, yeah. privatization or whatever. You know, I didn't want to paint like a Nestle bottle or something, um, <laughs> a giant pink flamingo right made out of plastic. <laughs> so I thought this would be awesome. And then I thought like, okay, it'll be really cool. Cause people will walk on it and it'll like get destroyed over the course of the show. So I went last Thursday and Alice loved it um and her daughter loved it and so I was like okay cool. So I drive out there. Uh, it's in Claremont. So it's like a 50 mile drive for me one way um and we live like on the opposite side of Los Angeles from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's I have to navigate through LA to get to where I can even drive out to the desert Mm -hmm. to go paint this. Um, which is not really the desert, but it's close enough. And so go out there, start trying to paint it on the dirt after I like rake and sweep the yard. So it is, I am like trying to get it down to the, you know, the
0: hard, 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 firm, compacted ground.
1: Right. Um, and I start painting and quickly see no matter how much I sweep, the it's gonna dust up and bead up with the paint. Yeah. And like form a dusting layer. And I went through that first day, like I wasted all four of my uh the light blue cans that I had just trying to see if I could Like, I felt like if I can just get it out and feel how many more cans I'm going to need, then I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, God, this is not working. So then I went to Home Depot and was like, let me get a cheap white spray paint and just spray the whole yard. Then it'll have a layer of paint to then have paint sit on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have something to adhere to.
1: Right. Um, So I got their cheap spray paint, and it's uh, apparently... $2.30 $2.30 a can for a reason. <laughs> it sucked. Um, it was, like, so so watery and everything. Uh, so I went through, like, maybe 10 cans of that trying to cover the dirt, and I was like, I got to call it. I got to figure something else out. Because it was going to cost me, like, maybe $400 in paint to paint this yard. Oh, yeah. That as... I'm just taking one step on it, and that area is just a shoe print. It's totally destroyed. So, like, this mural is going to last, like, five minutes at the show.
0: Did you ever um, work a job where you had to paint or stripe football fields or baseball fields or anything like that?
1: No. I did think of using, like, uh, you know, the either pest control or one of those kind of sprayers or whatever, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. Are you talking about like chalk or something? Yeah. yeah.
0: Like they usually use chalk in a lot of uh, applications, but um, they'll use like, they have like a paint that will adhere to the inside as like the base layer. So if the chalk gets all knocked up and dusted around, then you'll Uh, still have something there. Um, The way that they do it on like major league fields is they really compact like the clay and get it wet. Like it's like a clay that gets wet and then it, so it doesn't have any dust to it and then you can put the paint layer down and then you put the chalk layer on top of the paint layer
1: yeah yeah we we did try running her sprinklers over to wet it down and everything and that it worked a little bit but i was like as soon as this dries yeah it it might just blow away um so i thought about you know chalk stuff but I don't know. It it was one of those things that I was like, shit, this is like Thursday, show is Saturday. I don't want to experiment with a new medium Mm -hmm. um, this close. And so went home and Miho thought maybe cellophane wrap, but then we're thinking like that might trip people. Yeah, Um,
0: and be tough to get it on such a big layout with just like rolls of
1: cellophane. Yeah, you're gonna have to do strips of it and then somehow adhere those together. And not have it um, all
0: crinkle up. <laughs>
1: yeah, instantly. yeah. Right. In the wind as I'm painting. Um and then Alice texted me and she was like, What about like vinyl sheeting you would put in a cupboard? Um Yeah, like and, uh
0: contact paper.
1: Yeah, she was thinking like it would uh you could cut it out into shapes of the water or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, why don't I just use drop cloth for the whole thing? If I'm gonna use plastic yeah. to lay it down. So I went and got uh, drop cloth, like the same stuff I used for all my stencils and and laid that out and it was perfect. Like I painted on Friday, painted the whole thing. Um and so for me, I was thinking like, well, people will just maybe not get the political messaging of it but this will be like a fun piece or whatever for people to kind of mess with especially in a droughted out yard like maybe they'll kind of get it and like showing up at the art show everybody loved it like the kids were playing on it um they the kids were the least apprehensive about walking on it. Like they understood it's meant to be walked on. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the the uppity
0: artists are like, ooh, is someone going to yell at me if I touch the art piece?
1: (laughs) There weren't any uppity artists there. Everybody's very polite. Uh, But yeah, so, but people were telling me like it was, I don't know, I heard the word brilliant thrown around. That that really shook me. Um, Somebody told me that if I if they were my art professor and had told me to visualize a an art piece for a specific space that I nailed it, um, I never went to art school, so hearing somebody say like I would have succeeded in an art class is kind of cool. Um, so but that was one of the things is like the piece that I came up with, I wasn't thinking through like how can this really utilize the space? I was like, the shape of it looks kind of like a pool, so yeah, I'm gonna yeah. do a pool. Um, I don't know. Oh, but and maybe she, that's Alice kept it. That's she's oh, like cool. she, she wants to like she's like the yard's just gonna be dusty until I can put stuff down like in the late winter. She's Anyways, just gonna keep so. having part pool parties now for the rest of the <laughs> fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like you know just gonna send me pictures as it gets broken up in the sun and like being stepped on and everything.
0: <laughs> she, she needs to do like a a video of her trying to do a cannonball into it and then just like busting her ass as, as she hits the <laughs> ground
1: <laughs> oh yeah i meant to take a picture like i was doing a cannonball <laughs> yeah
0: no that's cool it's, but like it's because you've never done like a installation style piece before where people get to like interact with it no. physically
1: yeah that was my first one and i didn't even realize that it's considered an installation piece until people were telling me that that day yeah and I was like, Oh, I guess it is like, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that was like, I tweeted about it, but that was like kind of the cool thing. It's like, I had, I just thought this was going to be kind of a fun thing and everyone loved it way more than I could have imagined. Mm-hmm. So that's gotta be like what it feels like to make something that's, that you, you know, like every artist that is uh big or famous or whatever they start out by just making things that they think is kind of cool or unique or whatever. Yeah, and you don't know what's. going I'm gonna not saying hit. I'm going to be big, but yeah, right, but exactly. You you
0: you never know what's going to hit, and it might be the like most superfluous thing that you did that suddenly strikes a chord with people, and you're like, oh yeah. wow, that's that's the thing. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's the thing they
1: like. <laughs> I mean, it was. I had like uh, two artists I was speaking with. Um, And they were both like, "I think you should explore this more, like using the plastic sheet to like make a mural, but installing it in places." Mm -hmm. And I thought this was going to be a one-off kind of thing, but I was like, "Oh, I don't know how I'm going to do that," but like, okay, maybe that is something I should kind of play around with, or
0: just, uh, or even other like ground-based mural type of things, where if there's like, like if you're doing the stuff where you're already dust decorating the walls for restaurants like what if you decorated parking spots for the restaurants or to beautify like the the stupid strip mall parking lot that the place is in and whatever like you there's lots of other applications you could make that work
1: yeah yeah so all in all it was it was extremely cool um and then i'm going up uh on the 25th to do a new mural in that Melrose one cuz it got uh bombed oh recently so like bombed or like tagged up tag tagged up <laughs> bomb bomb is what like doing a gigantic tag to cover okay. up okay well
0: with stuff. the LAPD you never know if that
1: they actually you do like never blew know. blew up a neighborhood <laughs> yeah you do <laughs> never know with them
0: it's tough you got to you got to be careful with that slang <laughs>
1: How was your double-wide show?
0: Oh, it was excellent. Uh, It's probably the best show that we've done so far. And Saroy came up and was asking me about it. He's like, wow, it's like, you guys are getting good. And I was like, yeah, we actually like our practice when we have band practice. It's weird how, you know, you you get better when you work at the stuff. Yeah. Because I always always think that he thinks that we're just like goofing around. Like it's just a big, uh, just mess around session when we get our get together and have practice he's like ah christina you're practicing too much you don't need to practice you're just doing cover songs what do you need to go up band practice what's that for (laughs) 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 well yeah it was really good um we played with a band called the clinton years they're a 90s cover band they do like variety of everything 90s and they're they're excellent you know they're made up of like some of the actual real professional musicians that live in Dallas, you know, that actually get paid for music doing other things. Um, so it's, it's just cool to like be on the state. Like when, like when I get to play with Jorts, just like the level of like chops and people that have done a lot of other types of shows and other types of things. Uh, it, it's, it's just like, wow. Like you really feel like, uh, there's this other level of like professionalism and like, um, like man, we could even do better. Like there, there's other levels for us to get to as far as like how we do this thing, um, and even if it's just like little stuff, like little technology stuff about the way that they're making some of their sound work and uh, different arrangements for their effects and things like that to make it work better for them. It all, it's all, it was all really cool. Um, and then uh, today was the big announcement for the Freak one year anniversary party. So I guess I can announce that on here too. But on uh, October 5th at the Echo Lounge in Dallas, uh, the Freak radio station is doing their one year anniversary party. And we're playing it. Oatmeal Pizza, we, Oatmeal Pizza, All right. is playing it. And uh, Quaker City Nighthawks is headlining. So we get to, it's another. Uh, time we get to play with Sam and Jorts and the rest of the boys from Quaker City is going to be awesome. Sharing the stage, It's my first time playing a Echo Lounge size venue, where you know I haven't been. It's not like I'm playing an auditorium for a church or for school or something like. It's actually one of my bands playing a big, giant place. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be really, really good time. So if anyone's interested in coming out to that, I believe it's free if you come out like before 6 p.m. And then if you just come out for the band part after 6 p.m., I think it's like $10 or something like that. But there'll be more information all over the social media in the next
1: month or so. That's awesome. I'm looking at this uh, venue. Uh, Where is the Echo Lounge? It's in the
0: um, the Arts District. Which is on the uh, west side of 35, on the uh, of downtown, um, over by where like the Dallas Mavericks practice training facility is. It's owned or part owned and operated by Mark Cuban. Um, so that's another uh, just a uh, it's it's like his mu- music venue that he tried to open up, but like the pandemic happened the month that it opened, <laughs> like that's when everything shut down in 2020. Um, so they didn't really do many shows or anything at all at the beginning. And now they're just kind of coming around to like a relaunch and doing shows there and stuff like they were supposed to do back in 2020 when it first opened.
1: So this is, okay, I see, man, so the Victory Station that we got off for the A C, it's just right across the freeway from that? Yeah, yeah. Can you ride the train to it to where um, you're going to be?
0: You can ride the train, but then you'd have to like walk under the under 35, under the pedestrian part from Victory Park on, to the other side. Um, I mean, I'm not going to ride the train because I'll have a bunch of band equipment, but you could. Well, yeah. It is possible.
1: Man, that's not, awesome. Not
0: necessarily convenient, but possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, last night we went to Pearl Jam, uh, TC, Jorts, me and Nikki, And uh, I had won a raffle back in April to have a chance to buy tickets. Because they're playing at uh, Dickie's Arena in Fort Worth, the new like rodeo arena they built in downtown Fort Worth. It's basically like the AAC, but half the size, like a miniature AAC. So instead of having, it only has like a... A first level and a second level. No suite level and then a third and fourth level above it. And like the concourses are like just miniaturized small versions of like the concourse in a regular arena. But it's it was really great because the place doesn't hold that many people. Um, so like Pearl Jam would normally play like a big arena that holds like 25,000 plus at least. And they're playing this place which I'm not even sure if it breaks 10,000 even if it's like fully... Um, tricked out to being a music venue where like the floor is all seats and people standing, but it's really great. was my first time there. Um, they, it's the closest thing to the Bronco Bowl that I've been in since the Bronco Bowl closed. Um, it is in Fort Worth, so you got to drive out to Fort Worth to go see it. But it's like they built a a rodeo arena and just happened to also build uh, like the best live sounding. Mid-sized room in in the entire Metroplex, so it's it was really good. They they were going through it. They had just had to cancel um, a show last week, um, and because Matt Cameron, their drummer, got COVID. You know, it's coming back mm. around, guys. Um, and then Eddie was sick too, but he just has the flu. And so they came out, and you know they are all just sitting on stools in the beginning, and they're playing like their their softest, most um, subdued songs. And then, you know, Eddie talks after like the second song. He's like, yeah, we didn't know if we were going to be able to do it tonight, but we felt like we had to. So it was either not do the show or do a special different version of a show that we don't ever, that we've never done before. And so we decided to do this special version of a show. So instead of having Matt Cameron, they had this other uh, musician that's played auxiliary percussion and stuff for them come and play drums. He's also filled in for John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers on guitar before, when John was out. Um, anyway, he played drums and it was like a little nervous at the beginning, like because like the first six songs were all this kind of unplugged set and everyone's just sitting on stools and there's barely any drums going on in the background, and um, then they slowly built up the energy to like being a full rock energy. And then he started really laying into the drums and getting the fills in there, and we were like, "Okay, it's going to be a good night. He, it's it's going to work out." Um, <sighs> and uh, but yeah, they're they're talking. You know, Eddie kept saying over and over again throughout the night just how like unique this concert has been compared to all the other concerts they've done just because of the circumstances. And he was like, "You know, it's." You don't like to admit it, but, you know, as a as a musician, you play all these shows and they all kind of run together, you know. So if anyone comes up and is like, hey, you know, I was in Minneapolis last year and, you know, I don't I probably won't even remember what that show was. But if any of you guys come up to us after this one and say, hey, I was in Fort Worth. Back in 2023 when Matt Cameron was sick and you were sick and you all had to do a crazy set made up of a bunch of songs that you had to teach a drummer at the last second. <laughs> it's like, we'll definitely remember that one. This one, we're all tied together. We're never going to forget this gig. <laughs> so that was cool. And um, uh, Science Angle, TC got real excited for me because he had, invi- like, he had this long story before they played Given to Fly about um, this little girl in Arkansas... Who grew up in a small town uh, called B Branch, and it just happened to be so out of the way that there wasn't very much light pollution. And so she grew up underneath, like, the firmament of the Milky Way galaxy, being able to see all of that, and um, always was questioning everything around her about, like, how all that worked with her, the adults in the room. And um, she grew up to be the uh, head female astrophysicist on the Hubble program and she was standing right in front of the stage in the pit and he pointed her out and he was like there she is (laughs) the lead female astrophysicist from the Hubble space program (laughs) and she was there so that was awesome
1: they have a song about her
0: yeah he dedicated given to fly to her I don't know if given to fly is necessarily directly about her life story but he melded her life story into dedicating that song to her and like the lyrics do work you know for that I don't know if that's specifically what it was yeah. written about originally
1: I don't know too much about Pearl Jam sorry I'm having like internet issues it's okay I see uh, you keep
0: popping in and out you're not gone you're still there
1: I'm gonna turn the video off
0: sometimes in 4k sometimes not
1: <laughs> yeah you've been uh, pixels this whole time I'm sorry it's still working
0: I can still hear you it's still recording we're all live
1: well I uh, hey live to tape <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know anything about Pearl Jam. I feel like my stepdad really liked them. Do they have like drums that are fun to play? Oh he yeah. Like...
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the drums have okay, always been a big why. part, but I think you would like them if you were, if you wanted to take the uh, return back. Cause like Eddie, he's from, um, California, not Seattle. And, uh, <laughs> the, the, like the bands from Seattle, they were originally called Mother Love Bone. They had another singer, and then that singer died. And then they put out a call for a bunch of other singers, and Eddie was just a sort of a orphaned child of uh, divorce um, uh, and step-parents, uh, broken home stuff, who was just a surfer. He was like 16 years old, living by himself in a little apartment, surfing every day and... Playing guitar <laughs> as, as a way of coping with his his childhood, and just sent a tape to these guys in Seattle, and they were like, "Come on up, we like your voice." <laughs> and so, like, his whole vibe has always been um, has always been that, just like a uh, surfer kid who has a lot of uh, uh, past childhood trauma issues. <laughs> huh. So I think you might have some things that you like have a uh, common commonalities with him as far as like relating with where he's coming from and a lot of things. Um, but yeah, like the music's really good too. I, I've, I've, I, no matter what Jake might tell you, uh, I Pearl Jam's music is good. He's not a big Pearl Jam yeah.
1: guy. Well, you know, if it doesn't have an 808 in it, he doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know. I feel like I, Pearl Jam is one of those bands that I thought was like from the 70s. <laughs> well, I mean like
0: 1989, you know. But they're also the band that, like I was talking about with TC last night because they're TC's favorite band, and which is interesting because, you know, he's younger. He's, you know, six years younger than I am. And so like that, why that would be like his wheelhouse band. Um, But it's because they, you know, like a lot of the other bands from that early 90s period, they were one of the few that had legs like they stayed around. They kept putting albums out every year for this entire time, this entire run. They've never had like, oh, we're taking five years off type of thing. It's like always putting out music. So. Even as a kid in the 90s, if you were listening to The Edge, they'd play like the old stuff from their first record, 10. And then they'd also be saying, and this is the new stuff. This is the stuff from this album. And in the 2000s, they were still playing the new stuff. And then, you know, the, the teens, they're still playing the new stuff. So there's lots of material to source from. And um, it's not like um, Grateful Dead or Fish or something like that type of following like, the their music is still, like, um, digestible in a way that is rock and roll friendly. It's not like a jam band where people just go around to hear people noodle around for 20 minutes on every song and get stoned type of thing. They, like, have actual songs.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Them, Smashing Pumpkins, another one that I thought was from the 70s. <laughs>
0: I mean, same They're era, also, same era. You know, yeah, first, yeah, exactly. first album comes out in like '90. Yeah. I Although don't know they did play, they did a little bit of stuff in the late '80s in Chicago too. But they were basically a garage band at that point.
1: Maybe they have a song titled "1979," right? Yes, they did. The Smashing Pumpkins. Yes. Maybe that's why that was a very famous song <clears throat> for them. You can only write songs about years that have happened within the last three. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. that's true. If you title them after a year. Uh, that's that's the way my brain works. That,
0: yeah, that's why Silverchair wrote uh, the year two thousand in nineteen ninety-nine.
1: Right. Yeah. You being well, a big
0: Silverchair fan, I thought you would know that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know Silverchair. You're not down with the Aussies. Down under
1: no, I have no
0: clue. <laughs> Brought to you by the Outback. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. So just a couple science things that have happened since the last time we talked about science. You know, we did all the religion stuff. And I hope everybody got religion out of their system. Hope it's all out of your system now. You shouldn't have one other question about religion the rest of your life.
1: No. I would like to know what religion everybody is now. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Probably everyone's going to become like the Moonies.
1: They're going to be banned in Japan.
0: I know. But that, maybe that's everyone's going to be like, hey, the government can't tell us what to do. We're all becoming moonies. The whole world. And then Japan's going to be like, well, then we won't have a population. because that, That's how strikes work, right? You just realize that there's a lot more of us than there are of leaders in Japan. So if we all band together, we can just undo what any of the leaders in Japan say. Sure. (laughs) Just general strike. We're all becoming moonies. (laughs) Um, No, uh, so first we were talking about, you know, Hubble with uh, the lady at the Pearl Jam concert. Uh, James Webb kept doing stuff, and their big report uh, two days ago was the first release of uh, spectroscopy data from looking at exoplanets, looking at their atmospheres for the chemical mix-up of their atmospheres to see if they have any... Uh, signatures that might um, be life-giving compounds in their atmosphere. So you're looking for methane and some other things. Not that methane can't be created without having life, but there are a few very special um, methane byproducts that uh, they can look for in the spectral data for the signatures to see if they are there that do just come from living things here on Earth. And there's a uh, few traces that were picked up in... Um, the last analysis that they did, and so they're going to do further analysis um, on uh, this planet they were looking at. It's a giant water world. Uh, It's about eight times the size, uh, or eight times the mass of Earth. Um, But based upon the makeup of some of the compounds, they believe that it's, well they already know it's in the habitable zone of its red dwarf star. Um, so it looks like it's probably a giant water planet um, and if that's the case then there could be plant life and living things on there, bacterial life that's giving off different signatures in the atmosphere that then we can detect um, and with the sensitivity of the instruments on Webb, this first analysis finds like the fingerprint And then they're going to have to go back and scrape through the data to really analyze the fingerprints to verify that the fingerprints are the fingerprints of the chemical compounds that they think they are. But right now, it's enough data to say, yeah, we did find these things, um, so it's worth looking more. And it's just the case of Web has so much data and it's looking at so many things that as... Um, scientists pour through those results. We're going to get a lot more of these type of um, discoveries being made, and they're going to come pretty fast um, uh, over the next year or so. So it's going to be pretty interesting. Is as, as everyone's getting way way overhyped about uh, fake alien mummies in the Mexican uh, government, and uh, you know all of our UFO dalliances over the last month. At our in our own congressional hearings, um, it's cool to say that there is some real stuff going on in science that actually is pointing to uh, <laughs> evidence of extraterrestrial life. So, if you really are interested in like extraterrestrial life, uh, maybe don't get so caught up in all the all the mythology and and bullshit of ufology stuff and uh, look at like the actual science that's being done. And there's some pretty cool stuff if you're interested.
1: What are what is gonna be the uh world reaction whenever they discover life on another planet like even if it's just you know plant kind of life or whatever like are they obviously people will uh say that it's just a conspiracy uh, yeah but what is what is the angle for them to say it's a conspiracy
0: <laughs> well I think th- You know, there's these dreams that you read in, like, sci-fi novels that when these discoveries are made, all of a sudden, like, religion breaks down on Earth because all the the underpinnings of religion uh, start to fall apart with the different creation myths once you find that there's life out there somewhere else in the universe. But I Mm -hmm. don't really think that's going to (laughs) happen. I I think if the the thing that was uh, going to be... The undoing of religion was pointing out some hypocrisy or some fantastical myth making that was at the in the creation stories. Uh, it would have already gone away. <laughs> like, they're, they're, I, I don't know if us finding even we could have like actual fucking aliens come and talk to a church here in in America. Like they go to Joel Olstein's church. That's the first place they show up, and they're like, "Look, guys, you got this all wrong." Um, and I think there's still going to be a whole lot of uh, evangelical Christians in America so I, I don't have the the hope that some do that this is going to be some kind of uh, real inflection point in human culture as far as those types of things are concerned superstition and all that type of stuff is concerned um, the thing that's more interesting is that I think it's just inspirational as far as future discoveries being made um, and and setting a whole other generation of young soon to be scientists and explorers like setting their imaginations on fire like if when we were kids all we could imagine was like what if there was you know life out there or what if there was like what is going on out in the stars that we don't know about type of thing but when we actually have a lot of the information <laughs> like how they work how other other ecosystems work out inside the universe um then as that is the new foundation point it allows the imagination of the future scientists to like go even places that our imaginations couldn't go because we didn't even we we were imagining what the new foundation was going to be so uh, i think that's really the most interesting stuff and like web is not the the most state of the art telescope that's about to go up. There's like four other ones that are going to go up in the next decade that are going to blow Webb away. Um, so it's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty interesting. I think the real the real thing that would be like the actual cultural moment that would change a lot of people's opinions about life on the planet and all that type of thing would be like if once we get some of more of these um, uh, near Earth. Uh, survey satellites up looking at the very potential reality of another asteroid hitting our planet. If they find something that is going to be close and they can chart the orbital geometry and say, yeah, in 221 years, this one could be a planet ender and it's going to hit us type of thing. That is going to be the thing that really changes people's perspective about the planet. Um, Not necessarily finding life on on a planet in a star, uh, you know, a hundred light years away.
1: Do you want to live to see them say that there's going to be a planet ending asteroid?
0: Oh yeah. I th- And I think with the with the survey that they're expanding and expanding on, we're going to have those types of things happen in our lifetime where they're going to discover a few rocks that'll be like, not, not that the rocks will hit in our lifetime, but they'll be able to find uh, a lot of different candidates and they'll be able to say, this one's going to hit in 200 years. And this one's going to hit in 500. This one's a 10,000 year out horizon that we're keeping an eye on. And people will actually start thinking in multi-generational terms about that type of stuff because those things are actual existential threats that are real. They're not the existential threat of the second coming of Christ or Armageddon or whatever else that, that you can just like kind of want to happen or kind of not want to happen, but there's no like actual date out there. But if we can actually put like real dates and real like sizes and real like potential damages and things to, to real numbers, um, that's going to be a big culture shift moment. If it, Even more than climate change, because we can do that with climate change right now, but it is still such like a slow thing that people don't feel the 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 angst inside that's tugging at them that's, oh my God, we're all about to die.
1: <laughs> yeah, I listened to the big picture science episode on the climate change stuff that was this week. Mm-hmm. Um And that's, I mean, that's the crazy thing is like there, one of the interviews they did was with a farmer in Wisconsin, no, Michigan. And his, in the 40 years that he's run a farm, he's changed the crops that he grows Mm -hmm. uh, just because the climate has changed so drastically that like the stuff he used to grow doesn't grow anymore. And the stuff he uh, could never grow now grows like, the shifting food um what supply i suppose yeah. is is going to be something that over 40 years like that one person seeing that change over 40 years they're like wow that's that's nuts um but people don't recognize that it's going to be once you know like the bottom half of california is desert that then people would notice it and then it it's not like you can do anything at that point. So it is kind of a, yeah, I wonder what the asteroid uh, projection sort of stuff would do for climate change. If they have a 50%, uh, you know, likelihood that this one's going to hit and disrupt however much percentage, obviously people would, well, I say obviously, but I feel like there would be a drive for developing interplanetary travel uh Mm -hmm. for humans oh yeah you you could so easily see businesses being like well let's just use up all the fossil fuels we got because this planet's going to be blown to pieces anyway so
0: yeah that's the the three body problem uh like the escapism issue that you have to deal with are all the rich people gonna hoard all their resources to build spaceships because they think the earth's doomed and then like all take off at the same time to go live on the other side of jupiter and leave us th- leave the rest of us here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You finished the books, right? I still have a little bit to go. Okay. Not one of us.
0: No, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a true beater yet. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> just just me, Justin and Dan over here. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, and then we'll, then we'll have a big roundtable and you guys will have totally forgotten the books and I'll be like, I know everything about these books.
1: <laughs> I remember I was texting Justin about book three and he's like, he's like, I think that was an interesting point, but I can't say anything because I can't remember what happened or what will happen. So, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: so Webb did that. The other one that we might do a whole episode on is Webb did do its measurement of the expansion rate of the universe, which confirmed the expansion rate from the Hubble measurement. But there is still a lot of tension in that, like we talked about, if you go back to our dark energy episode, about how there's a little bit of a disagreement in the math and the act, the physical measurement. And that disagreement and tension um, stayed in the Webb measurement as well. So... It'd be a lot to re-explain, but I would like to go back and get into that because that's going to be an interesting thing too as more and more maps of the most distant parts of the universe are made and we can ex- we can really measure like the rate of expansion and then correlate that to, is that what dark energy is? Um, but So that, that was the other quick web hit. The other thing that I came across in the last week or so while we were doing religion stuff was just a lot of people talking about uh, Post nut clarity, and I don't know if this was just because it was in like the Instagram reel um, thing that I got somehow looped in on. Yeah, somehow. Oh, yeah, somehow. I don't know what. <laughs> no, but uh, like it was, it was because of uh, like stand up comedians, you know, talk making jokes about it, and when they were doing it, I was confused because my. It, all the jokes or the, the things about post nut clarity when I was younger, like the implication was that after as a guy, after you orgasm, like you think like a girl, type of thing. Like that that's the mo- that moment where like you've you've released the semen from your body. Now all of a sudden you're clear headed and you're like thinking the way like females always think. You're not, you know, backed up by all this biological imperative messing with your decision-making process. And that's when you're like, oh, wow, I really care for this person. Like, uh, I'm re- I really want to do anything I can to make this other person feel safe. You know, those types of feelings, um, which, you know, back in the 90s, that's what all your friends would make homophobic jokes about, is, you know, if, if you had those types of thought processes. Um, but in the, like, recent stand-up, stuff that i had seen about it it was like they were describing puss nut clarity as uh this buyer's remorse type of sensation like you have sex you know everybody we're all having sex and then you know we we get done and then we look over and you're like oh no what did i do type of thing like uh you, you were just so pent up with wanting to spread your seed that once you did, then you regretted having sex with that person because they were your friend or because they w- didn't meet up to your physical standards or y- what whatever the reason was, was more of these feelings of guilt and shame associated with it. So w- what is your... Uh what was your preconceived notion take of it cuz that, that was just interesting to me that was like I didn't ever associate this terminology with like guilt and shame
1: Uh no never with guilt and shame I thought it was more um making I mean the the like 90s comic bit I definitely remember seeing comedians talk about that kind of stuff mm. um I guess just uh, more, like, focus was what I thought the joke was. Like, in the very literal sense of clarity. Like, oh, okay, now I can uh, make a life decision or something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interestingly, maybe just because we're descended from a puritanical regime... (laughs) this has not really been studied very much. (laughs) Like, ah, it's too taboo to go study sex. But part part of the reason is that it's kind of tough to study and looking into, like, the different people that have tried to explore this, like, the best way to really evaluate it would be to do fMRI scans of people's brains in the moments when they're having an orgasm and afterwards to see what the different, you know, regions are doing. But it's almost impossible to do that. And, like, the reason is because uh, fMRI requires, like, absolutely no movement. Like, you have to be super still in order to get the proper readings from it. And when you're uh, either male or female and you're in the process of stimulating and having an orgasm, uh, the ability to not move your head (laughs) seems to be almost impossible. (laughs) From, from just from these clinical analyses, like they've had to develop like crazy styrofoam helmets that people can wear so that they can try to even glimpse what's going on in the brain during this that will hold the person's head still enough so that they can get proper readings in an fMRI machine. And even then, it's still kind of like, well, there's still a little bit of noise because there's like movement. Um, And it's it's involuntary movement. It's not like people jerking their heads around in there because they're just having such a good time. It's like very slight vibrations that your body makes um, that can mess up the sensitivity of the fMRI. Um, But the other the other thing is that there there is this I this this one class of uh, debate, especially in the psychological community, that. These these concepts of like post nut clarity and that type of deal are new inventions because uh, we're these people that you know evolved for a hundred thousand years without all of this stimuli and now in like the last hundred years we have all all this stimuli that is messing with our mind's ability to uh, make proper decisions because we're so distracted by everything else that's going on and they're like. You have this weird moment of clarity because the hormones have been drained from your brain, and you're only using these uh, these certain hormones in order to process information, and it's giving you this new perspective. But going back and looking at the literature, um, this phenomenon has been discussed going back into antiquity. Like ancient Greeks were talking <laughs> about this, <laughs> so it's not of course. It's it's like the it people like having the ex- both experiences like, uh, you know, afterwards I w- was really conflicted with the decision of my life. And, you know, after having an orgasm, that's the best time to make a life decision because you can be clear and balanced about it to like, uh, people, Greeks complaining about, yeah, every time after I have sex, like sometimes I get really sad, <laughs> you know? And so there's, um, like that has been a, uh, a thing that has been, uh, Investigated for a long time before like the urban dictionary terms of post nut clarity and that type of stuff existed like this goes back to an actual condition um, called post coital dysphoria and that happens way more than we would probably think in the different um studies that they've done on this which are basically just survey studies you know that these aren't like studies of why it happens these are just studies of recording that it does happen Mm -hmm. um but they've had um studies of like for example over 1200 men participated in a study um and 40 percent of them had reported that they had experienced um this dysphoria afterwards which is the dysphoria of like you feel the shame part of it. Like the, like the, they were talking in the most recent uh, stand up bits, this uh, feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, feelings of all, uh, like actual body shame of what you had just done. And, um, in the modern um, aspect of this, people try to associate it with like, oh, this is pornography-based. Now that there's so much pornography, people feel guilty after they jerk off and they look at porn because they feel like they've committed a sin or something because of the nature of our society. But that's just, this been going on way before, you know, digital porn or anything was around. Um, so in this cohort of 1,200 men, this goes back to the early 1900s. 40% of them, at the time, said that they had experienced this dysphoria at least once in their lifetime, and 20% uh, reported experiencing it in the four weeks preceding the study. Um, And that 4% of the sample experienced it every time they had an orgasm. Which is, that's crazy. (laughs) Like, would you continue to have orgasms every single time you had this body dysphoria, shame associated with it every single time? Like, how, how does that happen? And it's not just a man thing. It happens with women, too, um, in about the same instances. Um, so it must be a thing, an evolutionary thing that is carried on by both sexes and it's not necessarily environmentally dependent and it's not necessarily culturally dependent. Um, it's like a thing that is part of us. Um, so then there's, if you go back to like the um, psychologists like Schopenhauer and other people who are starting to really look at things with the brain and understanding these different phenomenons. That's when they really started thinking about it from an evolutionary standpoint. Of this, maybe this isn't like um, this isn't like a an evolutionary imperative thing that we're following that is part of that system. Maybe this is a baggage thing. Maybe this is like men having nipples type of thing. You know. Just because we come, we're both we're both the same organism, and so we have this same sort of hormonal baggage in our minds. In order for our brains to generate the need to um, have sex with another person, so that we can procreate and continue the species, it has to use all of these different hormone and chemical signals in order to bypass a lot of other decision making that would maybe prevent us from having that sexual encounter, um, mm-hmm. and. In creating those um, influx of those different hormones and chemicals, there are side effects to that. Just like doing uh, Molly or whatever, you're gonna have a come down. And so the come down is built into the biological process, the come down is the side effect of the evolutionary thing. Um, and that comedown can affect people in certain ways because it's directly interfacing with the hypothalamus and some of the other sort of primitive brain parts of of the of the brain, and thus you have these very strong reactions that are involuntary and maybe something that you can't even control with like therapy and other things. It's not like oh, you had a traumatic sexual experience as a child and so now this is going to manifest itself in all of your future sexual experiences yes that can be a a trigger but the existence of this phenomenon is an evolutionary thing going back a long ways which then gets you into like if it is like a evolutionary baggage thing to um procreation do other animals in the living king in the kingdom have these types of (laughs) <laughs> experience yeah
1: yeah i thought whenever you started going down the trail of uh evolution that it was going to be more of a like lowering defensiveness sort of thing mm-hmm. like you know like you're you're way more like literally vulnerable to attack i guess if if your brain is so focused on this kind of thing so it's trying to like get you more aware of your self and like your surroundings or whatever, so that you're back on alert mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. But yeah, I could see, you know, if it is just kind of this like trade off sort of thing, which most of evolution is, all of evolution is. So,
0: and part of it is because you have your brain does intentionally get you high when you want to have sex, it reduces a bunch of the stress so that you can have an orgasm. Both, both in males and females. So even in like a higher stimulated, stressful modern society, um, in order to even achieve an orgasm, your brain has to trick you into a moment where you disassociate from stress. And even if it's just for a few seconds, like you cannot release if your brain is occupied with current stress and you're Mm -hmm. focused on that stuff so and it's not like a conscious decision you make i'm just going to stop thinking about these things so i can get my rocks off (laughs) like your brain floods you so that it's impossible it becomes impossible like you have to and it that's the other thing when it comes to like different orgasm studies done by the kinsey institute and things like for when people are like trying to have an orgasm and they like are too consciously aware of it it you can't do it Like you, you, it doesn't, no matter how much stimulation you do, if you are too consciously aware of the process, you can't do it. You have to actually, your brain actually goes into a disassociative state when the, or right before the orgasm happens. And so part of the thought of like, why maybe some of the post-nut clarity is like, wow, now I finally, all the picture makes sense on this, like, big problem I've been having at work. You know, right after I had sex, all of it made sense and I was able to come up with a solution. It's because uh, you were coming out of that high state where your brain intentionally distracted you from all of the stress and things going on in your head. And as those things slowly come back online, maybe the one that you were thinking about the most obsessively is the first one to sort of interface with this new prefrontal cortex Um, decision-making clarity thing that is no longer flooded with these hormones and you are able to see like the path through the trees that you weren't before because you were blinded by all of the stress hormones that were messing with you.
1: I wonder, I mean, then that would make sense for the, like you would then be able to, on top of that layer of understanding, put the cultural context back on top of it for going back to the the comedic take of everything like the 90s comedians you know having this more culture of kind of the toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. and then like being able to rid the stress of feeling like you need to act like andrew dice clay all the time right right um
0: or maybe you have that like maybe me being an asshole as just a Using profit driven motivators for all my employees isn't the thing to do. Maybe it's, uh, there's another collective way that
1: we could get productivity. <laughs> yeah, right. But I wonder if the modern, uh, you know, your, your current Instagram feed, uh, take on it is like driven by dating apps. Yeah. Where it's way more of a, like you have less of a, I mean, I can only assume because I n- never used an app and I'm, you know, you didn't either. So nope. we're just guessing here. But I imagine that it's it in the back of your brain are probably feeling like this is not actually like meeting somebody. You know, this isn't like a chance encounter or whatever. Or this is like the second time I've tried to meet a mm-hmm. new person this week, which is not how... Dating people works. Oh
0: know? yeah, from like the psychological aspect, I wonder if you get the same dopamine. You probably get the dopamine hit from the dating app, from like getting matched or whatever. Just like you get the right. dopamine hit if like a chime happens when you're playing Candy Crush or whatever. Um, but I wonder if you get the same oxytocin release that like is supposed to make you think like, oh man, I I need to be with this person forever. I need to if I mate with this person, then it means like oxytocin is the thing that gives you the, if, if we have sex, I'm going to be around for the whole life, for the whole like uprearing of the child phase, like the oxytocin is yeah, what gives yeah. you that, that feeling. And I wonder if oxytocin is stimulated in the same way from app interactions as it would be from inter- interpersonal reaction.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine it would be the same, but I do know the, the way that people consciously interact with apps is there, like, I mean, I'm sure you've heard people talk about it, that they rarely will, like, stop using an app because they've been on multiple dates with one person. Yeah. And it's, it's not like I'm coming from a place of, like, well, you have to be monogamous. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of other options out there for people. But it's not... It's not that everybody is now poly. Oh know? yeah, but you might not but be you're... getting the
0: same chemical stimulus that like makes you feel like, "Ooh, I need to raise kids with this person." Like you're just yeah. trying to get the next dopamine hit, which is like either because you have maybe and maybe this is all just sort of a a self-feeding um cycle type of thing like people become, you know, more disassociated from each other. They use more apps to interact with each other. So you're chasing your dopamine hit because that's the way you chase everything that you interact with on your phone. Um, yeah. The dopamine hit happens whenever you have sex. You need the dopamine because you're everyone is extra super anxious and stressed out nowadays. Like We're seeking the dopamine to try to just, please, please just give me that one little buzz just for one second so that I can feel like a normal person. Um, yeah. And then after you have sex, suddenly oxytocin starts flooding in once the dopamine hit wears off from the from you come from your coming. And uh, then you're like, holy shit, I haven't felt any of this oxytocin in a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, and, and instead of it being like, wow, this makes me want to just love this person for the rest of my life. It's like. I don't I, this makes me feel uncomfortable. This gives me icky feelings. I don't like the way this is making me feel. I I'm used to this one-to-one relationship with reward seeking. And now right. that this is like a long-term type of feeling, I'm not comfortable with that because that's going to distract me from my incessant every single few minutes looking for the next dopamine hit thing that I've been doing. And so maybe yeah. that's the conflict. This is just me my speculation. But I I could see how that this the whole thing could be a a self fulfilling prophecy.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I was watching something on like, uh, like Roblox the other day, and it's just like it goes hand in hand with the dating apps. How insane it is that like governments have allowed (laughs) app developers (laughs) to just do whatever they want. Like, you know, like the, the literal child exploitation on Roblox is insane. How the owner, like the guy, the CEO or whatever is worth $1.8 billion because they get literal children to develop their entire Mm -hmm. thing. You know, um, the same with like dating apps. It's crazy to me. Like how it just feels like having all of these, uh, Dinosaurs in Congress is the issue. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, because they don't understand technology, so they can't regulate anything.
0: Or, or or their only ideas are like, we gotta figure out a way to get this technology out of these kids' hands. And I yeah, don't think yeah. that's the answer. I think if anything, like if you somehow put like a restriction on child's interfacing with technology to like their 10 or something like that. <laughs> like yeah. You're going to we're going to have a lot of stupid kids <laughs> who are going to be like suddenly get to interface with technology for the first time and it's not going to come intuitive to them at all. And if you want to raise another group of uh, a bunch of uh, Internet illiterate people that don't know how to tell reality from fiction. Uh, just make sure that they don't interface with it during their childhood.
2: <laughs> yeah, man, it's you know, like you almost the, have the, to the, let it,
0: you almost have to just throw them in and be like, okay, kids, it's a fucked up world of shit on the internet, but uh, just just get inundated with it, and this is going to be the best way that you're going to develop a litmus test to tell what's real and not.
1: I mean, I don't know how often you interface with like Gen Z and Gen Alpha memes but they'd make hardly any sense. (laughs) Uh, Like I feel like a Gen X um, could look at, you know, uh, memes or whatever when we were younger, like when you were in your 20s, I was in college and be like, okay, I can kind of see that. And the, the Gen Z and Gen Alpha ones are just like, I don't get what's going on. It's just like screeching, like yeah, <laughs> you know, because um, they're born online. Yeah, yeah. So the, but it definitely hasn't been harnessed in any way. You know, it's because of the profit-seeking motive. The only things that people would develop in order to have kids pay attention to technology or learn whatever is because they're trying to make a profit off of.
0: Right, right. That well, and that's why, like, you have this. The people right after us all wanted to become monetize the internet as internet famous people. You know whether yeah. that was on TikTok or whatever. I think the 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 ones after that that ship's going to be so gone. Like there's not going to be it's no one's going to be a, an influencer in the you know next twenty years. Like it's all all influencers are just going to be bots and AI generated stuff that's specifically catered to whatever you want. It's not even you're not even gonna have to search out like some personality to sell you something on Instagram or whatever. It'll be an artificial one that's created just for you based upon what your search history and um, everything has been. There's there's not gonna be need to monetize it through another person.
1: I'm gonna feel like such an old man whenever like the Google or whatever the next search engine that's AI driven is gonna be. You know, because the – I don't know, man. I don't know if I want to be feeding into that. (laughs) Like, I'm feeding into it enough without direct interaction. Like, people who have got chat, GTP, PT, whatever, on their computers and are interacting with it, you're gone. Like, there's no (laughs) coming back at all for any of your personal data (laughs) – for for any of it, you know. Oh yeah.
0: But, you know, I feel like most of that's is that that was already th- those horses were out of the barn a long time ago even before it was all around.
1: I'm going to start putting the makeup on my face to confuse like facial recognition technology. <laughs> I'm going to become one you're, of those you're, Yeah, guys. you're
0: going to be one of the the people from uh Taiwan back in 2011. I think you're a little late. Uh, no. <laughs> I think they already got your face Eric
1: I can improve
0: <laughs> You just need to wear a skin mask Of another human That's yeah, that's the best go. way
1: to confuse it Confuse crows That's all I need yep. <laughs> All the confused crows Alright
0: man well we got some science We talked about your moving I think that was a good re- return to form Of a uh, non-religious series podcast
1: Yeah now it's time for me to go be depressed until the fall gets here. Yeah, well, I get depressed every end of summer it's, because... It's your seasonal depression. It's the hot, humid time, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate humidity.
0: Well, come to Dallas. It's like 72 degrees. We're, it was rainy this morning, so it was a little humid, but uh, the... Rain knocked out all the pollen that was in the air and it's supposed to cool down a little bit more over the weekend, but it is going to get back up into the 90s next week.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have like, we have straight low 70s for the next week at least. And the lows are like in the 60s. So I'm going to make it. All right. Well,
0: go surf. Listen to some Pearl Jam.
1: I can't surf because of the bacteria in the water. Because it's been so warm, mm. your climate change. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, just drive up, drive up north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll do that. Go to Mavericks. Anyways, <laughs> all right,
0: <laughs> all right. Until next week. Bye.